This morning we are continuing our series called Letters, where we've been going through the, the letters that Paul and other followers of Jesus had first written that really got Christianity going. Yep, there we go. See you guys come in and <laughs> all your cell phones. Gonna have to sit this way. Uh, yeah, so they're writing all these letters and it's just, you know, they're, they're trying to get Christianity going. They're trying to correct some mistakes that people were making as, uh, as, as Christianity got started. And it's just uh, amazing that, that God had inspired them with the, these words. And these letters still speak to us here today, 2,000 years later. Uh, specifically, we've been looking at a particular letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to four churches in the region of Galatia, Turkey, and they had made a major mistake. For those of you that maybe haven't been with us for our series, we do want to welcome you. I know many of you are here supporting people that are being baptized. Uh, so let me just real quick give you a recap of what had happened. After Christianity first got started, many of the new converts were were Jewish people. Remember, Jesus was Jewish himself, and so many of these new converts are Jewish, and they're telling the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people, people like you and I, that in order to be saved, to become a Christian, not only do you have to ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and give him control of your life, but you also have to follow all the Jewish rules and laws and customs. There were 613 commands in the Old Testament that the Jews were supposed to follow, and then another group of people called the Pharisees had come along, and they had added even more rules on top of that. And so they were saying, look, it's great that you're a Christian, but you've got to follow all of our rules. Well, Paul, he goes down to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles to go, is this right or not? Because I thought it was by faith in Jesus alone and Peter and James and John, all the other apostles are going, no, you're absolutely right. Keep preaching the gospel message that it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. So this letter that we're looking at that Paul wrote was in response to these churches in Galatia that had gotten deceived. They were trying to say to people, no, it's by your works that you're saved. And so we've taken the last couple of weeks, we've gone through Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 2, where Paul's touching on everything. This morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3, so if you've got a Bible you want to turn to Galatians chapter 3, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures are provided in the outline that was given as you came in. All the scriptures will be on the screen behind me as well. Also, as Bill, our worship pastor, mentioned a little bit earlier, if you pull out your smartphone, you go to exponential.church, again, exponential.church, you can actually follow along. Everything that's there in the paper copy of the program is there online. You can actually fill in all the blanks, and so that's another way that you can participate as well, so you can get all the scriptures there as well. Uh, as you continue to turn to Galatians 3, let me put you into a hypothetical scenario here. I want you to imagine for a second that you are a business consultant, and you have been hired by a major corporation to come in because they have just fallen apart. They've just filed for bankruptcy, and they're not sure what's going on and, and what they, they need to do. So they need your expertise in fixing this problem. Do we need to like cut costs? Do we need to increase, you know, the, the cost of our goods that we're selling? Do we need to do more advertising? Do we need to have more efficiency in how we're manufacturing our product? They, they just need to know. They're open to whatever it is that you suggest to them. And so as you start as the consultant, you start to notice that, wow, they have got a great product. They, they should be making all kinds of money. You're, you're confused. Why did they go bankrupt? But then as you continue to dig in a little bit more, you discover that the problem is the CEO. The CEO is not only corrupt, but he's also incompetent. The CEO has made a series of really bad strategic decisions for the company, both in the manufacturing and the marketing side of things. 
you see that he's made some very shady business deals and, and maybe been cooking the books a little bit, that maybe he's been embezzling some money from the corporation. Now remember, you're the business consultant. And finally, the board of directors that has hired you pulls you in for a meeting to give you your results. What is the recommendation you're going to give to the board of directors? To do what? Fire the CEO, right, exactly. Yes, their debt is a problem. And you could come up with solutions to help them get out of debt. But at the very core, you've got to take care of the major problem, which is the corruption of the CEO and how he's been operating things. Does that make sense? Unless you get to the root of the problem, it's never really going to change. Essentially, that's what the Apostle Paul is going to share with us today in Galatians chapter 3. It's a very similar scenario. Because he's going to write to the Galatians and say, look, your life, it's been corrupted because of sin. And Jesus came and, and he forgave you of your sin. That's what he talked about in, in Galatians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 2 is that it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves. And you can never do enough to get out of that sin debt that you owe to God. And so Paul's going to say, okay, it, it's great that, that Jesus got you out of that sin debt. But really what you need to do is fire the CEO. You need to hire somebody new. You have to have a new leader that comes in with a better plan and a better system than, than what you've had so far. Now, in case you haven't figured it out, Paul's talking to you and I as well, right? If you haven't figured it out yet, you and I are the CEO. We need to, to fire ourselves, so to speak, and bring in a new leader with a better plan and a new system. Here, here's our big thought for the day. Because, you know, many of you, you come in this morning and, and you're struggling in some way, maybe in your marriage or in your finances, you're, you're frustrated with your career, or you don't feel like you have any hope or meaning or purpose for your life. You can't seem to find happiness. Or maybe there's a sin in your life that you're like, man, I, I know Jesus wants to forgive me of this, but it seems like I just keep dealing it over and over and over again. And you're really wrestling with lust or pride or greed or envy, jealousy, rage, anger, whatever it is. And you're like, how do I take care of this? Well, here, here's our big thought. If you're taking notes this morning, it's this. It's not enough for me just to be forgiven for the penalty of my sin. I also need to be released from the power of sin. Let me say that again. It's not enough for me just to be forgiven for the what? For the penalty of my sin. That's what Jesus does for us on the cross, right? He forgave us of the penalty of our sin. But I also need to be released from the, the power of sin. Last week as I wrapped up, I shared with you a, a sort of a preview of what Paul was going to be talking about here today. In Galatians 2.20, he says this. I have been what? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What's Paul saying there? Who did he fire? Himself. He fired the CEO. He says, I've been running my own life. But as soon as I met Jesus, not only did he forgive me of the penalty of my sin, but since I fired myself, I crucified my own flesh. I'm now a new person. The old is gone. The new has come. And I no longer live, but Christ now lives in me. 
meaning he has what? He has a new CEO, he has a new boss, he has a new leader in his life. And that's why I've shared with you for years that, you know, you, you'll never hear me other than when I give this type of illustration. You'll never hear me say the words that you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. You'll hear a lot of pastors say that. Ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Now, do you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes, absolutely. But people don't use that language anymore. When have you, when you just dra- casually drop in the words Savior and Lord in the, in the conversation? You don't. The only time you would ever hear it is as a church, but most people don't know what that means. And so what Paul talked about in Galatians 1 and 2 is making Jesus the Savior of your life. What does that mean? You ask him to forgive you of your sins because you realize that you can't forgive yourself of your own sins and that you've done so much that you're in such a great debt to him. There's, the, the penalty is so high that only Jesus, who was God in the flesh and lived a perfect and sinless life, only he can pay the penalty for your sin. That's to make him the Savior of your life. Now, a lot of people like that. They're like, oh, good. I don't have to go to hell now. It's my get out of hell free card. Jesus died on the cross for me. But what I said is you need to ask Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And what Savior means, is, or uh, uh, what Lord means then, is to make him the leader of your life, that you give him control of your life. Like Paul says here, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's no longer about me, but Jesus. He lives in me. Paul says here, now I live by faith in the Son of God who gave up his life for me. You want to have power over your sin? You give him full control. Not 50-50. Not, oh, I'm living for him 70% of the time or I'm living for him 90% of the time. Not even I'm living for him 99.9% of the time. He wants 100% control of your life. Because let's face it, he has a better plan for your life than what you do. And as I said earlier, like with the corporation, that even if they paid off the debt, the problem still remains. It's the same thing with you. Imagine it this way instead. Imagine you have cancer. Unfortunately, you have cancer. And you're racking up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands in medical bills. And a lot of it insurance isn't going to cover. And now all of a sudden you have to pay for that in some way. And now I want you to imagine somebody came to you and they said, I'm paying all your medical bills for you. That'd be a huge relief, wouldn't it? You wouldn't have to worry about that part of it anymore. But even though that debt is paid off, still the problem remains. You still have cancer. Really what you want done is get rid of my cancer. Thank you that you paid off the debt, but get rid of the cancer that's in me. And that's what Paul's talking about here. Is that Jesus paid off your sin debt. You are forgiven. You are set free. But ultimately, we need to have that sin rooted up out of us. And what we need to understand is that's not something you can do on your own. You see, in the same way that Jesus forgave you of your sin, only Jesus can give you the power over your sin. The the common mistake that we make is we think that, okay, yeah, I I believe Jesus died on the cross so I can be forgiven. True, thank you. And then we make the mistake of going, now it's all on me to change my life. But it's not on you. Only his power in you 
can change you. It's not about you living a good life. It's not about you following the rules. Sure, you should do those things, but that's not something you can do. Only his spirit can give you that kind of power. And that's where we're going to pick up the story then in, in Galatians chapter 3 because the Galatian church had bought into this kind of thinking that, okay, Jesus saves us, but now it's all about us and us following the laws and us following the rules and the customs. Paul's going to address that. Now, let me remind you about Paul. Paul had great zeal for God, but Paul wasn't always the most tactful person in the world, okay? So Galatians 3.1, he says this, you stupid Galatians, <laughs> has a magician hypnotized you? Because clearly you have taken leave of your senses. Something crazy has happened, for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Didn't I paint a vivid picture for you? as to why Jesus was nailed to the cross? I was going, I don't know what happened to you guys. Because when I was there, when I actually started your churches, I preached Jesus and Jesus alone. I, I preached Jesus crucified. And, and in fact, I painted such a vivid picture that many of you came up to me in the, the lobby there in Galatia at our church, and, and you were talking about how, wow, Paul, man, when you preach about Jesus, I can actually see it. It's almost like I'm there. I can see him on the cross. I can see his wounds. I can feel the anguish that he's going through. I can hear his words at the very end. It is finished. It's done. And Paul says, man, you, you used to talk about that. used to be so fresh in your mind. But now you've forgotten it. And now you think that your life in Christ has something to do with you. And your good works and your good deeds. You've gone back to trying to live by the law. Paul continues on then in verse 2 and says, I want you to know only one thing. How are you giving God's Spirit? Was it by obeying the law of Moses or by hearing about Christ and having faith in him? Now, this is Paul's first mention of the Holy Spirit here in the, the letter that he wrote to the Galatian churches, but it's not going to be the last time. In fact, he's going to, throughout the remainder of this letter, just talk about who the Spirit is and what the Spirit does in our lives and why we need a relationship with the Spirit. So he says, how did you get the Spirit? Did you get the Spirit by faith? Or did you get the Spirit by your own good works? And the obvious answer was they had received the Spirit by faith. He continues on in verses 3 to 5. How foolish can you be after starting your new lives in the Spirit? Why are you now trying to become perfect by your own what? Your own human effort. You have suffered so much for the gospel. Now, are you just going to throw it all overboard? Has it all really been for nothing? Does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you because you follow the law? No. He does these things because you heard the good news of the gospel and you did what? You believed it. And so Paul's saying, look, if you receive the Spirit by belief, what makes you think that you're going to grow in your relationship with the Spirit in any other way? What makes you think that it's going to be by your own good works and your own human effort that, that you're going to grow? Because if you couldn't obey the law before you became a Christian, how are you going to obey the law now? You, you can't. So, so you, you, you've got to grow 
in faith. And you've got to believe in Jesus' finished work there on the cross. You've got to believe those words that when Jesus said, it is finished, that it really was. That not only were those words that gave you forgiveness, but those words, it is finished, is something you believe again and again and again to experience spiritual power throughout your lifetime. Now, I've used this illustration before, but it's so powerful. Let, let me share it with you again. We've got all kinds of road construction here in Harrisburg right now, right? Especially if you're going up and down 83. And if, as you watch, and I know some of your, your blood pressure just like went skyrocketing, right? But this is what the Spirit's for, right? Give you peace, all right? Everybody take a deep breath. All right. When you watch those construction workers and they're there and they got those big jackhammers, they're called pneumatic jackhammers. From what I understand, they weigh 80 pounds. And if you notice, to that jackhammer, there's a, a tube, there's a hose, and it's plugged into an air compressor. And it's that air that gives that jackhammer power. I mean, think about how stupid it would be. Oh, you stupid construction workers. <laughs> if he was standing there, he didn't plug into the air source, and he just took that 80 pounds in his own strength, his own power, and he lifted it up, and he threw it down. And he lifted it up and threw it down. I don't want to leave any of you ladies out. So she lifted it up and she threw it down, right? Is that going to be very effective? No. Are you going to get it wore out pretty fast? Yes. See, and that's what many of you are doing in your life. You've been trying to go through life. Even for those of you that are already followers of Jesus, you're trying to pick up life and throw it down in your own strength. Pick it up and throw it down. Pick it up and throw it down. Pick it up and throw it down. And you're wondering, why am I not being effective? Why am I not overcoming this sin? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why are my finances in a wreck? Why can't I overcome all these things? I, I thought that, you know, Jesus set me free from those things. He did, but you're not plugged into the power source. You're forgiven of those sins, but you haven't tapped into the power to overcome yet. And Jesus says this in John 16, 7. He's talking to his disciples. This is after his death and his resurrection. He's getting ready to go back to heaven, and he says this, I'm going to do what is best for you, and that is why I'm going away. The Holy Spirit cannot come to help you until I leave, but after I am gone, I will send the Spirit to you. The very moment you pray and you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come in to be the leader of your life, he sends his spirit to you. You now have access to that power to overcome. Now here's why this is all, all important. I said that the thing that the construction workers use is called a pneumatic jackhammer. Pneumatic comes from a Greek word, pneuma. And pneuma means this. Wind, air. Again, that's why it's an air compressor. A pneumatic jackhammer, it's air pressured, right? But most of the time when you see the word pneuma in Scripture, it's translated as the word spirit. God says, I'm giving you my pneuma. I'm giving you my spirit. I'm giving you my power. In other words, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in you. That's powerful. Surely if the spirit can raise Christ from the dead, the spirit can do something as easy as helping you to overcome your sin or helping you to turn your life around. But again, it's not you that does any of those things. 
It's only the Spirit in us that can change us and transform us and give us the power over sin. Now, I know some of you, you, you get a little bit freaked out about, ooh, a spirit living in me or, you know, something. Right? And you're like, I'm not sure that I want that. And many of you, maybe you've had experiences with people that are a little weird when it comes to, you know, the whole Holy Spirit type thing. You know, some people, they see the spirit everywhere. And it's like every, like, little warm, fuzzy feeling or strange coincidence. They're like, oh, the spirit did this. Right? Yeah, that's like the, the guy that came up and he's like, Gilbert, man, I was praying about whether I should ask this girl out or not. And I, was, I was driving there in my car, right, and I'm praying about it. And as I'm praying, I see a billboard. And the billboard color is the same color of her, it colors her eyes. <laughs> and then, and then the, the, the phone number that they were advertising there, the last two digits, that's her age. And, and like, at that very moment, the song, Can't Help Falling in Love With You, came on. Not the Elvis version, but the, the UB40 one from, like, the, the, the late 90s. And Gilbert, I just knew in that moment that the Spirit was speaking to me, that I need to ask her out. And I'm going, I don't know if that was a Spirit or the preamble to a future restraining order. I mean, you know, it's... <laughs> You ever met somebody like that? that they, they, they like see the, the Spirit is like in every, everything. Or maybe you've had some experience with some Pentecostals or Pentecostal churches, and they're like, like waving their hands and stuff and trying to get you to fall over, you know, and everything. And you're like, oh, okay, I don't want anything to do with that. And so some of you go to the exact opposite extreme. And you treat the Holy Spirit more like your pituitary gland. You know it's in there somewhere, but you're not quite sure where, and you're not even sure what its function is. You know, it's just, it's important. But I'm just sort of gonna, I'm gonna ignore it. But Paul's gonna address that, and that's actually what we're gonna do throughout the rest of the series. And for those of you that may be visiting with us today, if you're interested in what I'm talking about today, we're actually gonna, over the next couple of weeks, just look at what is the role of the Holy Spirit? How does the Holy Spirit help us? Today is basically just an introduction uh, to the Spirit, but uh, I hope you'll, you'll come back and, and be a part of that. But the Spirit is real. The Spirit is part of what Christians would call the, the Trinity, that God is three in one. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now again, many Christians treat the Trinity as Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. Right? To, to them, that's the big three. But we need the Spirit living in us and working through us. Because remember, our big thought for today is this. Jesus, he wants to forgive you and take care of the, the penalty of your sin but you also need him to come in and take care of the, the, the power that sin has over you and to do away with that. And so the Holy Spirit is essential as a part of the Christian life. He's not the, the weird uncle that shows up to your family gatherings and you're not sure how to you know, deal with him and stuff, and so you just sort of ignore him until the day is over. Again, the Holy Spirit is vitally important and he's not accessed through a weird mystical ceremony or experienced only through random circumstances he is god living in you and his power released into you will give you the power over sin will give you the new life the fresh start the, the brand new life that you so desperately crave so here's what i want to say if if you want to go deeper in your faith 
It's not getting beyond the gospel. It's going deeper into the gospel. See, a lot of people think that, again, that the gospel is just to get me saved. And then I'll grow from there. But it's not about going beyond the gospel. It's going deeper into the gospel. The more you contemplate and the more you reflect on and the more you meditate on the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, loved you so much that he came and lived a perfect and sinless life and he died in your place for the sins and for the life that you've been living. The more you can see him there on that cross and you can see his sacrifice, the more you can hear him utter those words, it is finished. The deeper you go into that, the more you're going to feel his love and his grace and his mercy. And the more you feel that, the more then his power is going to be released through you. Think of it this way. You know, I, I just recently got one of those new uh, phone chargers that you don't actually plug your, your phone in. It's just like a little disc and you set it down and you just put your phone on top of it and you rest it on top of the charger and it recharges it. And so you, you take a, a, a dead battery, just rest it on top and it gets its strength, gets its power back, gets energized. And that's you. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I've killed the old operating system. I've let all of me die. I'm completely drained in a good way. And now I'm going to rest in Christ. And you see, the, the more you rest in Jesus more power he's going to give you. But many of us are just over here still trying to do our own thing. And again, that's why life is so frustrating. Because you're trying to get better. But you just seem like you can't. And here's the irony of all of it. I put it on your outline this way. The irony is I will only get better in the Christian life when I realize that God's acceptance of me is not based on me getting better. Let that sink in for a second. Because again, many of you are here today and you're drained and you can't seem to overcome the, the frustration in your marriage or your finances or with your career or something's going on with the kids or you've got a sin that you can't overcome. The irony is this. You're only going to get better in the Christian life when you realize that God's acceptance is not based on you getting better. What did you do in order to be saved? What did you do? Nothing, right? You couldn't do anything. You could only have faith in Jesus that he was going to save you. And what Paul is saying to us is, look, to have that new life, to truly become better, it's about you realizing I can't do anything to make myself better. I've got to put my faith in Jesus, in Jesus alone. It's Jesus alone that saves, and it's Jesus alone that changes and transforms us. But again, many people trust Jesus to save them from the penalty of sin, but then they think that 
you know, all their growth is on them then. That, oh man, I, I got to pray, I got to read my Bible, I got to go to church, I got to give, I got to serve. And, and listen, God wants you to do all those things. But you don't do those things in order to change your life. They're a natural byproduct of that He's already changing your life. And it's just sort of a continuation of it. He's the one that gives you the power that you need. So the first time you believe the gospel, it's to escape the penalty of sin. And then you believe the gospel every single day of your life, over and over and over again, to escape the power of sin. You don't escape the power of sin because you're following the law. You're following all the rules. You're following all the commands that you made a New Year's resolution. The only way that you change is because of Jesus and Jesus alone. You escape the power of sin because you believe that it is finished. Now Paul goes on and he uses an illustration to sort of compare our salvation experience with somebody else that had great faith, and that was Abraham in the Old Testament. Look at Galatians 3.6, Paul's writing, and he says, Abraham did what? Abraham believed God, and that act of belief was turned into a life that was right with God. Now, if you've been here at Exponential over the past year, we've been sort of going chronologically through the Bible. So it's been about a year ago that we covered this story of Abraham. If you remember, Abraham was the guy that God came to him and he gave him a promise that Abraham, through you and your descendants, uh, man, things are going to happen. In fact, I'm going to give you so many descendants that you won't even be able to count them all. I mean, look up at the stars of the sky. Look at the sand, uh, the grains of sand on the seashore. Try to count those. You can't. And he says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, the problem for Abraham was he was old. His wife was old. and They didn't have any children. This was going to take a miracle. But yet God spoke to him and said, this is what's going to happen. And through your child, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And he didn't have a child. He couldn't understand it. But yet Abraham believed. And Paul writes here that it was because of that belief that he was made right with God. Now some translations say that it was credited to Abraham with righteousness. Righteousness just means to be in right standing with God that it was given to his account. It was credited to him with righteousness. Not because of anything he had done, just simply because of his belief. His belief that it was going to be done. Now that Greek word there that is credited or counted for is logizomai. And it literally means to have something that is not now be counted as is. And the only way I could think to maybe illustrate this for you is in modern day terms would be like a check. A check that you write is not money, but yet you can turn it into money. It can be counted as money. You take a check to your bank, you hand a piece of paper, and they hand you back cold hard cash. So it's counted on your behalf as something that it isn't. And so Abraham has faith, and it's given to him this inheritance, this promise that through your child, one day all the nations of the world will be blessed. Same way for you and I. 
when you and I have faith in Jesus, it is counted to us, it's given to us, the payment for the penalty of our sin. And when we have faith in Jesus and his finished work on the cross, it's counted to us as now you have power to overcome that sin. Now, one thing that's uh, somewhat interesting, theologians have speculated that, you know, uh, if you know this story, when it first starts out, his actual name was Abram. And once he believes in God's promise, God then changes his name to Abraham. Abram to Abraham. The only difference there is just two letters, H-A. Ha. Ha. breath, spirit. That at the moment he believed, now he had the pneuma, the breath, the spirit of God. I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> you know, that's just what some theologians speculate on. But just in case, I have changed my name to Gil Hubbard. So uh, <laughs> please just address me that way from now on, Gil Hubbard, and I'd, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> Seriously, though, as, as Paul continues on in, in Galatians chapter 3 then, he, he's basically making the point that if we started our faith through the gospel, then we're going to continue our faith through the gospel. Not by works, not by you know, obedience uh, to the law, not in our own flesh and our own strength, through Jesus and Jesus alone. And then he makes one other point, and this, this is pretty important. A couple months ago, we were looking at, okay, what is the, the difference between the Old Testament and the, the New Testament? And I shared all that with you if you're interested. I believe that was the last weekend of December that really just outlined why is it that we don't follow the Old Testament anymore? But there are still principles in the Old Testament that we do follow. And there's great inspirational stories in the Old Testament that we should learn from. But if you remember, I was talking to you, there was two covenants in the Old Testament. There was this one that was given to Abraham, that Abraham, through your child, one day all the nations of the world will be blessed. And then later, a covenant was given to, and, and by the way, that, that one given to, to Abraham, that was for all people, for all time, all nations, you name it. And then later on, he gives one to Moses. Because remember, part of Abraham's thing was, I'm going to make you into a nation. And that nation did come about. It was the nation of Israel. Well, now the nation of Israel was given a covenant. It was given through Moses. And that is where the law came from. Uh, often we would call that the, the Ten Commandments. The, the God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Yes, he gave them. Those are the big ten, but those are basically the table of contents. There were 613 laws and commands that they needed to follow. And those laws and commands were given specifically to the nation and people of Israel for that day and that time. All right, you understand the difference there. So you, you get the one covenant given to Abraham, all people, all time, all nations, and then one given to Moses, specifically to the nation of Israel, specifically for their time and their day and specifically for the Jewish people. Here's why this is important. 
Paul continues on then, and he's been talking about this with the Galatians, but I'm going to skip down to Galatians 3, 16, 18. And he says, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as if though he meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. This is what I'm trying to say. The agreement that God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise, for if the inheritance could come or could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be a result of accepting God's promise. But God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. Now, I know that may be a little bit confusing. Basically, what Paul's saying is this. If our faith is based upon keeping the law and our promise is based on keeping the law, then why was it credited to Abraham with righteousness? Because the law didn't even come until 430 years after Abraham got the promise. Is that starting to make sense? Abraham didn't even have a law to keep. But yet God said, by faith, I'm crediting to you. I'm counting it on your behalf, righteousness. And then later, the law was given. But as we've been looking at in this series, Paul's saying, look, and this was what Galatians 1 and 2 was all about. We now have a new covenant. The, the covenant of Abraham has been fulfilled, as he said here in Galatians uh, 3, through Jesus. And Jesus said, a new covenant I give you, and this covenant is in my blood. So it's not about following the rules and the customs that the Jewish people did anymore. It's all about faith in Jesus. And yes, there are some rules and commands in the, the New Testament, our new covenant. Remember, we looked at that, that the better word instead of new and old testament is new and old covenant. So there was the old covenant, that's gone. We looked in Galatians 2, that's obsolete now. We have a new covenant found in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. And Jesus promises to us today that not only will I overcome the penalty of your sin, but I will give you the power over it as well. It is finished. Now, as I close here uh, this morning, I want to share with you one more scripture. It's found in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. And it says this, Although a righteous person may fall seven times, he does what? He gets up again. What did I tell you that righteousness means? To be in what? You're in right standing with God. So notice here that being in a right relationship with God, believing in the gospel, isn't demonstrated by you never falling. Rather, what happens when you fall? What do you do? Who do you trust? You see, your acceptance isn't based on how well you run. It's based on what do you do when you fall down. Again, look at that. A righteous person. A person that is in right standing with God. Even if they fall seven times, they can get up again. Not because of your strength. Not because of your power, but because of the power, the spirit, the pneuma, the, the breath of God that lives in you. And so some of you came in here today and you feel weak. But here's what I want you to remember in those moments. When you feel weak 
His Spirit is still strong in you. When your flesh may fail, when you fall, just remember that your God never, ever will. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we've had together to to look at your word and to look at the power that your spirit gives. Father, I pray that you would just unleash in us the spirit of God to renew us, to change us, to make us whole, to give us a fresh start and a brand new life. Lord, for anybody that's never prayed here today to to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sins, to to be the leader of their lives, I pray that they would do that right there in their seat. Just say, Jesus, I've messed up. I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I need your leadership. So come in, change me, and make me whole. Lord, you promise that if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. So Lord, do that. Lord, there's so many others that are here today that they're, they're followers of you, but they've been trying to do life in their own strength. And so, Lord, help them just to relax, to breathe in your spirit, to believe your gospel message that it is finished. And even when our flesh is weak, your spirit is still strong in me. Even though I may fail, love never will. Stand your feet.